0: Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Today is a Tuesday episode, so with us is our friend and producer Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how are you? Good
1: morning, Bradley. I think we need to tell uh, listeners that we have a little bit of a different recording situation today. and. So we're kind of doing this on a single mic. It's kind of like Jagger Richards when they like sing together in one mic. Yeah. But but the reason but we is won't bef- sing the,
0: here, here's the reason why it's so lame. It's because when we got to the bookstore this morning, the like usual lockbox thing wasn't there. I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm sure there's a good reason. And, it was, and neither of us had the key. Right. Uh, so it did occur to me that I should probably get a key for my own bookstore. Um, but so we are not recording from P&T. where right. We're recording from the Tusk Holdings office on Park Avenue South and sharing a microphone. Yeah, and sharing a microphone.
1: Okay. So the topic today is going to be. This is Bradley's first year of owning of owning a bookstore, PNT Netware, as we just as we just mentioned, and uh, we've discussed in the past at the end of the year Bradley's favorite books. So we're doing that, um, but it's a it's a different kind of year because now Bradley can just go into a store and take them off the shelf. And do you pay for them? I already have. I own them. No, right, right. But when you so we make a note of it just for inventory
0: purposes. It's funny. It feels like I'm getting away with something when I walk out of the store without paying. Right. And yet I'm like, you dumbass. You or these are already your fucking books.
1: You're just like you're not dumb enough to pay for them twice. So it's funny you say this because I I don't do that because I don't own the bookstore. But I do think about it because I'm like, wow, there's all these books and. I, I could just take one. Yeah, nothing would happen to you. Right. right. I, think, to I think my kids, I think Abby occasionally gets on her own and she'll, she'll take stuff. Okay. So we're going to talk about Bradley's favorite books. We're going to focus on fiction in this podcast. He does have a nonfiction list. And by the way, don't worry about scrawling down titles. If you hear Bradley talk about something that he likes, there's going to be a published list on Medium yep. that, that'll have all these titles and everything. And you can find them there if you, if you hear something. Um, but before we get to the books there's just a couple, we're going to go through a couple of topics that came up and my favorite topic of the week uh, of special interest to New Yorkers. But I think it's, I mean, it's not funny exactly, but the city is looking for a rat czar, yep. someone to deal with the rat problem. And they posted this kind of like job description, this job description. They, they clearly want looking for a rat catcher. Yeah, they want like a, it, it seemed to be kind of a circus um it's the guy from ratatouille available the guy from ratatouille so um first of all i had this proposal i wanted to see if i could if bradley could use his connections to the adams administration to get me the job as as rats that, are because i have this idea of doing it actually as a like a, a journalism project right where you just you you write about it you maybe make little mini documentaries along the way about rats so basically what you're saying is given that the problem of rats
0: is completely intractable and maybe you can make some progress at the edges you document it so that you have a good excuse for why you failed
1: oh my god well no i didn't think that i had a much i had a much better or so um, the public understands wait, it it's why do you this, think it's this...
0: intractable oh because look they the the two as i understand it the two species that are the most resistant to any sort of Extermination, change, anything you want are rats and cockroaches. That, like, they did some sort of nuclear testing in the Pacific,
1: and the only two species that survived were the rats and cockroaches. Right. But, I mean, at at various points, there are more rats in New York City and less, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, but that gets back down
0: to. Sanitation, which I think took a hit during de blagio because he was so incompetent, and then a greater hit during COVID because they had to really suspend service in a lot of ways. Um, rules around when trash bags go out. The Adams administration actually had a nice win a few weeks ago where they changed the rules so the trash of the residential buildings goes out at like, I don't know, 10 p.m. instead of 4 p.m. So there's less time for the bags on the street to attract rats. Um... I also wonder if the outdoor dining, which I think we all like quite a bit, isn't creating more opportunity for rats because the food's sort of traveling further
1: and more places to hide and like places to burrow into. Not that there's a lack of those in New York City. Um, So when we were talking about the rat problem initially, you don't want to be rat czar. No, I did did initially recommend. I I
0: really um, dislike. It's funny. I I, I wrote to Hugo. I said. I am weirdly oversensitive to rats and undersensitive to cockroaches. Cockroaches, with I think one exception in my life, have never really bothered Even me. Even the
1: really huge ones that are like yeah. the size of a bird they
0: just don't really bother me. Whereas rats like repulse me and upset me. Now, like anyone who wants to fuck with me, listen to this podcast, is going to send me a dead rat. But,
1: but they might have done that anyway. <laughs> maybe. Didn't Dave
0: <laughs> Kingman once send a reporter a dead rat? That sounds right. Yeah. That's how like Dave Kingman. Um, okay. So he was a power header, for but, the but he you're,
1: you're okay. So you're negative on, on the rats are job because of the attractability of the problem. No, but, but also just the, the, the notion a, of a czar. Right. right.
0: Right. So, so here's, here, here's the thing. So I, you can create a czar, a task force, a new agency, blue ribbon commission, call it whatever the fuck you want. Um, Yes, you need people at the top of any particular agency or problem to come up with the strategy to deal with it and to lead the effort to deal with it. So sure, rats are no problem. However, the the reality is what you need is just vast amounts of talent, not just at City Hall where people can be creative and, and smart and come up with good ideas, but at all the agencies as well, right? So I, I think I said this before on the, on the podcast, but if you look at what the best thing Mike Bloomberg did in his 12 years as mayor, it wasn't any particular one accomplishment. It wasn't 311 or the High Line or the Tech Campus and Roosevelt Island or anything else. It's that thousands of people showed up in New York City government who normally would not work in city government and they were given the freedom and power to come up with ideas, to experiment, to fail. As long as they went about it the right way, Mike had their back. And because he focused so much on hiring talent without caring about party or patronage or politics or anything else, really, he was able to attract so many people. And then he insisted that they all hire the exact same way. And so over a period of 12 years, like I said, this incredible number of talented people showed up in the administration. So when you had a problem like RATS, it wasn't just who's a smart person we can hire to come up with ten good ideas, but who are the seven hundred people who are gonna implement this thing on a regular basis? And and that's where I think if you don't have that, you can have all the czars you want, it doesn't matter.
1: You know, it's interesting too. It was one of the things that, that stuck with me about Dan Doktorov's uh, book about the city was he talked about taking over the the economic development agency which was his EDC. first job, at EDC, right? And he Part of it was people he hired, but there was also he worked with a lot of people who who'd been there, and you know he found people from within the bureaucracy yeah. who were really motivated. It turned out that they were they really wanted to have sort of yeah. a, a kind of leader that believed in talent. So there there was this kind of latent talent in the system that could be activated. Yeah, and, and also right, I think Mike also appointed people like Dan who were
0: really enthusiastic, had a lot of vision, loved the job. Uh, people wanted to work for for, for Dan. Um, and so he had a great team. I loved working with his team when I was at City Hall. And so part of the reason that his agencies particularly succeeded, um, even though the reality is, if you think about it, two of the be- the bigger failures of the blue registration were uh, not getting the Olympics and uh, congestion pricing, even though I say we were absolutely right on congestion pricing and maybe it's going to start this coming January. Olympics, I would argue, and Dan and I have had this conversation on this podcast where I think we were better off for not having one because instead of Hudson Yards, we'd have a Jet Stadium and the economic utility of Hudson Yards is significantly greater. But what's interesting is, do you know what Dan's job was when he left City Hall?
1: Uh, He took over
0: CEO of Bloomberg LP. So this is a guy who had probably the two highest profile failures but because what he did was he went for it on something that was really hard and he went about it in a good way and Mike was bought into it and respected it and he accomplished so many other things. Mike said, take the thing I care about most in the world other than my children, my company. And he put it in
1: Dan's hands and Dan did a great job with it. Um, okay, so are you going to be able to get me the rat's star job? You, uh, I, I can't mean, get
0: you that, but do you want to tell the cockroach story?
1: Oh, you want to tell? Uh, I think so. You're, you're going to tell the cockroach story think sword, it's worth telling the rat's our job. Okay, go ahead. Well, I'll tell you what, after hearing
0: all of this, if, if, ponder for 24 hours. If you still want the outside job, I'll, I'll make some calls. But um, so cockroaches, for whatever reason, they just don't seem to really bother me. Not that I would like you to send me, you know, envelopes full of cockroaches either. But um, one time, so I was in Italy for work. And the place where we were staying was an event. I guess I got there a day early for for various reasons. So I just stayed like in a little hotel in, in the town on Lake Como. And it was fine. Um, and when I get into my room and go to the bathroom to take a shower, there are cockroaches in the tub, which is a, a little gross. But I'm like, all right, you know, I just travel for like, I don't know, 12 hours, whatever it is I really need a shower. I'll just kind of spray them down the drain and I'll, I'll be fine. So, okay, spray down the drain. I get it. I'm taking my shower. I'm, everything's going Okay. Then the cockroaches all come back up out
1: of the drain, and I was like, ah! And I, I got out of the shower very quickly. Are there scarier cockroaches in Italy? I, I'm, I'm, I,
0: it's, no, they it's... were they were kind of smaller, from what I recall, but they were very resilient. I guess cockroaches overall. You know, like when Angela Duckworth wrote Grit, probably the two greatest examples uh, ultimately are of of her uh, of her thesis are cockroaches and rats.
1: Um. On, termites, the subject, on the subject termites, of Adams, we've strayed away from Adams a little bit in our discussion of the rats are. But um, the other big news he made uh, this week was his new initiative on getting mentally ill people off the street. Um, not met with tremendous amounts of enthusiasm. No, and support. no.
0: But this is sort of, and this kind of gets right back to the other point, right? Which is, this is not an unfamiliar, unusual, or unfamiliar pattern. Which is, a problem emerges in society. Uh, people tell you nothing can be done about it, and they have various ideological or logistical reasons as to why it can't. The executive in charge of whatever finally realizes, if I don't try to do something about this, I'm a dead man walking. And so I'm going to give it a shot, even though people are telling me it can't be done or shouldn't be done. The person that announces they're doing it, then all of the people who said, it can't be done, speak up even more loudly and give all the reasons why it won't work operationally, why it's not fair ideologically, illegally, all this other shit. And now that's when the rubber meets the road, right? So Adams, in my view, needs to really double down and say to the NYPD or any other agency, like, this is your fucking job and you're doing it um, and we're getting these people off the street. There was another story yesterday about a guy in the Upper West Side who just got slugged in the face for no reason by someone who is mentally ill. And this kind of thing happens over and over and over again. And until the perception of crime in New York City changes, the reality won't change. Crime is the greatest issue where perception and reality influence each other. And when the city feels unsafe, by the way, especially to tourists, especially people who are commuting in for work, for those who are still doing that, especially for people who are paying high amounts of taxes, like 50,000 taxpayers in New York City pay 50% of the taxes. If you don't see that as a value proposition that allows your city to function and provides all of the $100 billion or half most of the tax revenue, um, then your city's going to fall apart. And so uh, Adams has to stick with it. He has to double down. And he has to say, if this is a big enough deal to him, who are the talented people I have in the administration? And are they working on this thing specifically? And if they're not how do I hire some more talented people to do with it? To do, to do it Because if you have a bunch of people in the agencies who are sort of waging a quiet war against it and you don't have your people
1: there to fight that off, you're going to lose. Uh, w- one final failure of the Adams administration. Um, Jacob deGrom signed with the Texas Rangers and did not re-sign with the, uh, with the New York Mets. Bradley, how are you feeling about that?
0: Um, I feel okay. So f- first of all, just to defend our mayor, he he neither created the rat problem nor the mentally ill people on the streets problem. I would say both of them were exacerbated by, uh, you know, a horrible mayor, Bill de Blasio. He's trying to do something about them. I wouldn't credit him with solving the problems yet, but I would give him credit and trying to do something about it. Now to DeGrom. I also don't blame the mayor for that. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I have, you know, I, I'm in sort of constant contact with the call it, a dozen or so Mets fans in my life, um, all of whom sort of, at least by nature of their Mets rooting.
1: How many of these people are on the chat, the, the political consultant chat? Is that? Oh, no, that the
0: only one. No, uh, just Josh, I say me on that, on that chat. Um, but, uh, but overall, you know, as at least in their, in their part of their life where they're Mets fans, they're what you expect. They are depressive. They are pessimistic. Uh, they think the world is going really to an end. And by the way, as Mets fans, we're right. It typically is coming to an end. So what was interesting was over the course of the weekend as I talked to each of those people, no one said, I can't believe we didn't do this. Every single person said it was too much money. It was too many years. This guy is hurt all of the time, and it is not a good use of resources to tie it all up in this one pitcher who's never really available. And look – Part of the problem is you know, if they had won the division last year, maybe won a round of the playoffs, I think it's a different story. But the entire thesis of last season was if we can get to the playoffs with a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Scherzer, we can't be beat. And guess what? We got to the playoffs with a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Scherzer. We lost in the first round. And the two weekends before, had we won a couple of games that we lost, we would have won the division and not even been in the first round. And guess who pitched poorly in those games too? Jacob DeGrom. And so, you know, if the thesis is disproved, which it was, and this guy can't stay healthy, and if you use that money, it's not going to other things that you need instead, um, they made the right call. All
1: right, Bradley. So um, we're going to – we're going to punt the immigration issue till next uh, podcast because okay. I want to get to the books sure. um, since we promised it and um, we got a lot to talk about there. So um, you submitted me a list of your favorite novels of the year. I think what we'll do is we'll just have you read the list and then we're going to. I'm gonna, the first thing I'm going to ask you is I want you to recommend one to me and, and maybe as you read them you can be like. Sure. What? So do you have the list in front of you? I'm going to use off your
0: laptop. Okay. So, yeah. um, Yeah, Uh, these are the fiction books that I put. So I I read fewer books this year. So some listeners might remember in in 2020, among the very many bad decisions that I made uh, professionally, one of them was to try to read 100 books. I guess that was part personal, part professional. Um, And it was too much. And the reality is not only did it take away time from other stuff that was important, um, I didn't even enjoy the books that much because I was reading too fast. And it was like, it actually for now, the next two years, reduced the amount of reading that I did. So this year, I read not not counting some w- books I read uh, for specific issues in my life that I needed to learn more about, you know, around 50 books, maybe a little more, um, a lot, but 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 very, very less than than the old pace. But I'll tell you, I, I do feel better about it. So with that caveat, here we go. So the, the first novel that this is in order, it's by Gabrielle Zevin. It's called Tomorrow, Tomorrow, Tomorrow. It's about two video game designers from their teenagerdom to their kind of middle age. Uh, follows them from, from California, Massachusetts to back to California and all across their lives. Wonderful book, fun book. Um, I was at a conference this weekend and every, all the attendees were asked to recommend a book. One other person, rec- I recommended this book. One other person did too. And I was quite pleased when I realized it was the CEO of Penguin. So I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, So that's the first one. Um, Second one's called Two Two Paradise by Hanya Yana Yana Hagira. No, Yana Yana Gahara. Okay. It is a complicated book. Uh, It is about New York City. It takes place over several centuries. Um, Some of it is dystopian. Some of it is idealistic. Um, It is not uh, easy in all places. I don't think it's equally good in all places, but I think what she took on was such a big challenge, and she basically pulls it off. That it definitely belongs high on that list. Uh, third novel, third novel called "Olga Dies Dreaming." Shotio uh, Gonzalez is the author. I, I love this book. It's just about a family in Brooklyn that you know it's the New York story, right? They they are uh, from Puerto Rico, um, and there's two kids in the family who've become adults. Um, one ultimately becomes a, a member of Congress. In some ways, I think maybe based a little bit on our friend, Richie Torres, uh, the other becomes a, a wedding planner and, you know, their lives are good or bad, just like everyone's lives are good or bad, but it was sort of about this process of, of assimilation. Um, the, the mother of the two kids had been like a, a, a radical Puerto Rican separatist and they hadn't seen her in decades. And so anyway, I, I thought it was a great book and it just, it just felt like a very, uh, New York book to me. Um. Next one is called An Honest Living by Dwyer Murphy, another New York book. It's a detective story. It takes place in Brooklyn and Manhattan. It is rare um, that a story that doesn't have that much of a plot works for me. And this book is kind of it's even- It's a
1: detective story that doesn't have a plot?
0: Kind of, yeah, I kind of. There's not really anything they're solving, yet it's a detective story. But I kind of like the main character so much. that just kind of like following him around for a while- was, was interesting. It wasn't that long of a book either. If it were like 500 pages, I think it would have gotten boring, but like 200 and something, it worked really well. And then the next book, Either Or by L.F. Batuman, um, is similar in the sense that, you know, Honest Living was about a guy, a single guy in Brooklyn in his 40s or whatever it is. Either Or was about a, a young woman in college, you know, so 20 or something now, like
1: that. I, I'm surprised by this one because like Ivy League campus feels like uh, not a zone that you would
0: be no, like. No, it's it's not, but I have to say the, and there, again, there's not even much of a plot here. Right. The writing is so good and her insights are so interesting and funny and strong that I, I would have predicted, keep in mind, if I read, call it 50 books this year, I started 100, right? I have a very trick, quick, quick trigger finger, usually about- So f- quick you can't even can't say it. Yeah. If I'm 40 pages in and I don't like the book, that's it. I'm out. There's a, there are millions of books in this world. Even if I got back to reading 100 books a year, I'm 49 years old. Let's give me a really long lifespan. So give me 51 more years. <laughs> that's 5,100 more books. And the that, reality God, is- written. That's how it works. Right. He's it's not going to be 5,100. It's going to be like 2,000, right? 2,500. So maybe less. If there are millions of books in the world, and I'm only going to have to read a couple thousand more before I die- I am not hanging in there on books that I'm not enjoying, no matter how famous or, or kind of, you know, well-reviewed they
1: well, are. I would say are. almost none of these books are by, f- like, like classically famous writers, right? Are, are these, uh, on um, your, well, famous here?
0: Kevin Wilson is reasonably famous, I would say. Okay. Um, but never... Lydia Millet has written a, a couple of books that are... Um, right. wait, you yeah, yeah. haven't mentioned them yet. So let's, let's All right, so, again, so yeah. e- either or, um, again, meandering pro- plot by, like, a 21-year-old woman, um, both at Harvard and then her, her traveling over the course of the summer, but just really insightful, great writing. Um, now is At the Time of the Panic by Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson is a really great writer. He writes funny books about you know odd people in the South. Um, this is another one and it is about this woman in Tennessee who did this crazy thing when she was a teenager and it starts to come back to light and it kind of goes back and forth from, from when it happened as a teenager to her life now, um, but just a, a, a wonderful book. Keep going, her. Yeah, keep going. All right. Dinosaurs by Lydia Millette. I just mentioned that a second ago. Um, she wrote a book a year or two ago called The Children's Bible, which was one of the best books I read that year. And that was still better than Dinosaurs. But same kind of thing. It's, it's about a guy who moves from New York City to Arizona to recover from this sort of terrible breakup. These new mo- neighbors move into kind of a glass walled house next door, and his life meshes with theirs. But again, it meshes in a way. It's not creepy. He's not a serial killer, it's, it, he's not having. You know, there's not a sexual component, really, to it. Um, it's just...
1: You have like, dark books, right? I
0: mean, some of these books are are maybe right, a little like dark. like, just
1: horror, gothic-y, stuff like that. It's
0: not- no, no, pure horror, I don't honor, um, When We Were Bright and Beautiful would be another... When We Were Bright and Beautiful is sort of gone girl from New York City. Um, and it is it is dark, in a way. It's about a very wealthy family on the Upper East Side, where there's a accusation of rape and maybe murder I'm sort of forgetting now and it's about the trial and the process and the family um, it's very fun um, if, if you like that kind of stuff um, Free for Food for Millionaires I'm actually not even done with it I'm reading it right now it's by Min Jin Lee um, she wrote Pachinko which is a book that was very famous won lots, of, won lots of awards they just made it into a, a series or a TV show on I Apple it. no was it, it it's good worth, but I, I haven't watched it either. um And look, Pachinko is one of those books, right, after 40 pages, I did pull the trigger, and stop reading it. Um, But yeah, but this is a book about uh, this Korean American woman from Queens in her 20s and her, you know, having a very traditional religious family, but her sort of assimilating into the world and all of her attempts to sort of navigate and juxtapose kind of the traditional life that her family very much expects her to live. And the life of a twenty-something-year-old American, which which wants a lot more freedom. So, uh, think it's 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 really great, good enough that I put it on the list, even though I'm not fully done with it yet. Uh, Groundskeeping by Lee Cole, um, really great kind of campus novel. I, I like a campus novel. Um, this this does have a, a plot. It's about an aspiring writer. Uh, who lives in Kentucky, and he's living with uh, his uncle and his grandfather, who both were hardcore Republican Trump types, and he's a groundskeeper at the local college, but he's also uh, doing that in return for taking a writing course, and it's about his relationship with the writing teacher and about kind of how he, in some ways, does feel similar to his family, in some ways he feels doesn't, and kind of how he navigates that. So maybe in some ways not unlike Free Fruit for Millionaires. Um, Family Chow, really fun book about a... Uh, Chinese family in Wisconsin who own a Chinese food restaurant. And um, the patriarch is found dead, presumed murdered. And the entire town thinks that one of the kids did it. And it's all about kind of what actually happened.
1: So that sounds really plot driven.
0: It was very plot driven, but I I really did enjoy it. Uh, Mouth to Mouse by Antoine Wilson. You recommended this one to me. Um, And it's sort of, it, it's
1: about you remember recommend
0: you did yeah. you did and it, it's it's about a guy whose life is saved he the person who saved the life starts visiting his art gallery they never sort of connected about it and yet um he he on some level recognizes there's something there uh, and he um and this about their relationship and the final one's called The Cartographers, which is also a very plot-driven book, takes place in New York City. Uh, Peng Shepherd is the author. Um, and it's about a group of people who uh, had this history together in their 20s. Um, and then there's this crisis at the New York Public Library where this very important map disappears, but it signals more than just a theft. It is sort of a whole secret society that that starts to, you know, a, a little bit almost like the, like the secret history, but for maps.
1: in in new york so you can tell obviously since uh, i'd forgotten that i'd recommended antoine wilson to you and i i really it's funny i really liked the book i mean i like just how it just it was like compulsively readable like you just wanted to find out what happened but it also felt a little bit like you kind of get to the end and you're like
0: a little bit yeah that's, that's fair and look there are some books on the honorable mention list and we'll post it that are better known or were better reviewed than necessarily the books on, on my list, including you know, Trust by Hernan Diaz and The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. Um, there were people who are very famous that wrote very good books this year, but from my perspective, they were not uh, among the
1: best books that I read. Okay, so so two questions for you. Um, I was going to ask you to guess which one I'd read, but obviously that's out the window. Because um, it was Mount to Mountain? Yeah, it's the only All one, right. yeah. Um, so recommend one of the other nine to me. Um, so that I'm going to go read it over the holidays, which, which one of these should all right,
0: I have? Well, let's, let's okay. hold on. to Help me a little, little bit.
1: Do you like a book that's
0: set in contemporary times or from the past?
1: I honestly don't give a shit either one. Okay.
0: Do you like a book that is
1: set in New York city? I do. Um, do you like a book that is heavily plot driven? I do like a heavily driven, I mean, I, I, I like all kinds of books, but Given this list, I think the the, the way you describe the plot driven one sounds a little better to me. Although I will say this, I don't want to read a book about the Upper East Side. I grew up on the Upper East Side. I I don't feel like anybody could could, uh, compete with my own understanding of it, no matter, I mean, a, a truly great, great writer, I suppose, but like, I don't know. Okay. Don't want the Upper East Side.
0: Fair enough. Don't want the Upper East Side. All right. So we're, we're going to knock out To Paradise because it mainly takes place on Washington Square Park, but but some of it and is Upper East Side. how do you love Hanya's
1: first book? A Little I Didn't Read It. Oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy because that's considered her I like, know her like incredible classic. Although there's, you know, do you know there's a four-hour Dutch play that was staged in New York about her first book? I mean, of course there's a,
0: there's a four-hour Dutch play.
1: About Can stage you about imagine everything? going to a four-hour play in Dutch? I don't go to four-hour plays or 4 in Dutch, to be clear, I don't really go to. One Apparently, house it was like really neighbors. gory too, like tons of blood and on the stage and everything. Yeah, look,
0: there are people. How who, weird is there that there are people who we have an employee here. I won't, won't name her. And I was, you know, talk. I had lunch with her once, and I said she got engaged. I said, "Oh, tell me about your fiance." Oh, well, I should "Tell me where you live." And she said, "Times Square." That's really fucking weird, right? Who would voluntarily? You know, she makes a nice living. Why would you choose to live it's in Times Square? Are, right? Possible. And then I said to her, like, "Why?" She's like, "Well, my fiance." loves the theater i'm like oh does he work in it she's like no he's a lawyer he just wants to be as close to it as possible so there are a world of people who are, probably including this guy who would be thrilled to see a four-hour dutch uh play about you know a little life is that the name of the book? Of yeah um but but i'm not one of them so for you i'm gonna go either groundskeeping by lee cole okay or I'm gonna go now. is not the time to panic by Kevin Wilson. Now, those are both books that take place in the South,
1: so I, that's fine. I went to college in the South, and and, and I, I, I mean, whatever I like all I'll, parts. I'll throw of the country. it
0: just as a New York one of okay. the. There's probably three or four in that list. In New York City, um, "An Honest Living" by Dwyer Murphy.
1: Okay. I'm going to actually read all three of those, not by next week, but I'm going to read all three of those and just – I'm going to report back And by the way, if after 40 pages you don't like it, don't don't keep reading. Okay. Now, if I go into the store and I just walk out with them, what's going to happen to me? Uh, We'll probably press charges. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So – Though though if you do get a key, I guess it will be harder to catch you. (laughs) I'm just going to say one more recommendation, and then I think we're going to go because we've had a good chat about this. Um, Which one – uh, are you gonna recommend to your daughter Abby who is 16 years old?
0: Yeah, great question. Um I I sent her a copy of this list when I wrote it last okay. night.
1: Um has she read any of them yet?
0: I don't think she's read any of them. I think either or simply because it's it's about a you know a woman a couple of years older than her, kind of exploring would sort of be the clearer mm-hmm. the the clear, obvious choice there. Um But if I had to give her a few more, I think uh, Free Food for Millionaires would would resonate with her as well. Again, about a woman, a little older, her mid-20s in New York, trying to kind of figure things out. Um, And then Tomorrow, 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 just because I do think it is a wonderful book.
1: See, that's the thing. That's the one I think I might have to start with, even though you didn't mention it in the recommendation to me, because it's just number one. And it sounds... I'm interested in a book about video game designers because I don't it know is, anything about it. It is
0: interesting, and it's it's great. I mean, put it this way. Even though it wasn't the criteria that you laid out for me or that when I asked you questions, there's a reason why I put it first
1: on the list. Okay, I hate to end with housekeeping, but there are a few things we should mention. One, just uh, the rate and review thing. We would really love it if you would do that, especially if you've... Um, been a fan of the podcast and been listening to it for a while. Um, we'd love for you to hear your thoughts. We'd also love for you to email us directly if you have uh, ideas or critiques or anything at all, but we like to hear from 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 listeners. I, I don't think we've ever gotten a single response that hasn't been valuable in some way. And we've gotten some ones that are critical, lots of ones that are are that, that are filled with nice yeah, things. All, but they're all helpful. They're all helpful. So please get in touch. But why don't you... I, I don't even know how much you know about this, but you know, your your Columbia class, a whole bunch of of uh, of the students are coming in to do a like joint episode this week. Yeah. I'm not hundred percent sure when that's gonna go up, but we'll we'll tell you on our on our next recording. It's gonna yeah, be and soon. I, I
0: wanted to do it so my last class of the semester is on Wednesday, and I, I do something different for the very last class, which is I kind of throw out all of the tech and politics stuff that we spent the entire semester learning and talking about and for the majority some of them will give their final presentations but once that's over um, it is an hour and a half to two hours of unsolicited career and life advice Uh, i wrote up a couple years ago uh, a bunch of slides and bullet points i have edited and changed them a lot over the years. I think this year's version is very different because I think I have changed quite a bit personally over the past 12 months. Um, but what I have found is it is probably more useful to the students than anything else that I teach them for for two reasons. One is, it's a lot of stuff. It's stuff that I wish someone had told me when I was 25, or let's use that as the average age of a business school student. Um, and no one did. And I understand that maybe it's because it's not within the the topic we we're supposed to teach, but again, I'm an adjunct professor. The worst thing they could do is fire me and I get 10 hours a week of my time back. So one, I'm doing it cause I have more freedom than probably the other professors. Uh, and I wish someone did it for me, but, but two, in many ways more important than whatever it is that I specifically say, and, and maybe we'll put the slides, uh, up as well, uh, on firewalls and with that, but it is, I'm standing up there in front of them, right? So the school that they applied to, we're very excited to get into, have given a tremendous amount of money for tuition, um, has said to them, this is someone you're supposed to want to emulate. This is someone you're supposed to want to be like by the virtue of the fact that I'm, I'm standing in front of them. And what I want them to understand is... You know, life's fucking hard for everybody, man, and it's not linear, and things go well, and things go poorly, and I think we all want to believe, especially those of us who are super type A, that once we achieve whatever this last thing is, we're just going to be in a state of bliss for the rest of our existence. And that's just not true and and people, the people standing up in front of them in class struggle just as much uh, emotionally um, and and in every other way as they do. And on one hand, maybe that's depressing because there is no moment of nirvana. But on the other hand, you know, when they go through their lives and things go right and things go wrong, instead of feeling like there's something wrong with them for not being ecstatic all the time, I think just understanding this is how life goes uh, and being able to account for that probably, in, in my view, um, will do them more good over the long haul than anything else I can teach them.
1: All right, Bradley. So um, we're recording that tomorrow. It'll probably be up next week. But in any case, we'll keep you posted. And I'll see you next week. next week.